bold and raw perspectives of local politics. Important information which impacts our community, nation, and world. Exposing truth, transparency, and getting to the heart of relevant issues that you just won't see in the clickbait media. And always keeping it real. It's the Michelle Tanner Podcast. But I won't back down. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining our very first episode ever of the Michelle Tanner podcast. This is so exciting and I'm really excited. I'm going to introduce you guys here soon to my guest today, Quinn Denning. First, I wanted to introduce myself where this is the very first episode. Some of you may not know who I am. I am Michelle Tanner. I am on the St. George City Council. I am first and foremost, though, a wife and mother, which is my whole why and reason for getting myself into this crazy political mess in the first place. I am also a board certified family nurse practitioner and small business owner. So people have asked why, why are you getting into this? Why start this podcast? So I want to revert back actually to 2020, which is why I even got into the political realm in the first place. So Everybody knows 2020. The silver lining, though, of 2020 was the fact that it woke a lot of people up. I know it did for me. I've always been very liberty minded and very conscientious of our freedoms. However, when 2020 hit, it really made me realize how far we've gone in this country and how quickly those freedoms can be taken away if we allow it to happen. If we, the people, stop paying attention, how quickly that happens. So in 2020, I was actually pregnant with my youngest child. I was working in the emergency department and also running my small business. I run Bella 2 Medical, a little medical clinic and med spa here in town, And I was initially very cautious when I heard about COVID and, you know, here I am pregnant. I'm frontline healthcare provider wanting to make sure I'm taking all of the necessary precautions. It didn't take long, however, to start realizing the propaganda that it was really not about a virus, that it was being used for something much more than that. And when they put out, the school board actually put out an email July 2020 talking about how they were going to force masks on healthy elementary children. And that's when I just, wow, that was the tipping point for me of how are we allowing this to happen? I had been looking at all of the research up to that point. I knew there was not the science even to back up mandating this on healthy elementary children. So at that point, I made a very conscious decision to start speaking out publicly about how wrong mandates were. And as you can imagine, it's still not really popular as a medical professional to speak out against these things, mandates in particular. But I did. And I knew at that point in time what I was risking And ultimately, I did lose my position, my 10-year career in the emergency department. And I'll just read my post that I had put out that was actually shared by David Harris Jr. And that's when a lot of people started to pay attention to really what was going on. And so this was back 
November actually of, of 2021. So it says this week I was told I will be fired 11 years. That's how long I've worked in emergency medicine. Six years at my current job as an emergency nurse practitioner. Every review I've been told how great I am at my job. Multiple patients per shift always stop and thank me for being the only one who's ever really listened. Sure. I'm not perfect, but I'm a damn good practitioner and strive to treat every one of my patients like they are family. Thankfully, I saw the writing on the wall in the hospital several years ago and started my own business on the side. I plan to always remain in the ER, even if very part-time. I have a true passion for emergency medicine and helping people in their time of need. I love it so much, I literally would volunteer. But now I am told because I have natural immunity and choose not to risk side effects from a vax that I don't need, shh, we don't talk about that part of the science, that it's now okay to fire me. Welcome to Biden's America. As always, when you accept government funds, they have you by the balls. Unfortunately, many companies' balls have been squeezed so tight, they apparently have none left to stand up and do the right thing. Evil prevails when good men do nothing. I will not comply with tyrannical, non-scientific mandates. I will not be silent. I will not fade away into the night. Even if I stand alone, which I know I don't, I will still stand and fight. I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. And I still feel that way to this day. And ultimately that brings me into why I'm doing this podcast is I had a very profound experience when I initially started speaking out publicly against mandates, knowing that it wasn't popular, knowing that there would be consequences potentially monetarily to my business, to my position, But I had such a strong witness come to me that said, you need to be a voice. And that's what I've followed ever since I received that prompting is being a voice. Come what may, we have to fear God more than man. And that's what I love so much about Quinn Denning sitting right here next to me. What he's done recently, Quinn is the most genuine person you will ever meet, first of all. I just love being in Quinn's presence. I've been in meetings where he will stop and he'll say, let's have a prayer. To me, that's so powerful. And what Quinn has done recently, and we'll get into the details, he has been willing to step up. We recently had a position here in our district, CD2 here in Utah, Our congressman, Chris Stewart, had to resign uh, his wife due to some health issues, which we wish them the best. And we had a special election here because of that resignation. And Quinn was one who was willing to step up and put his name out there for that position, which I applaud him for. It is so difficult putting yourself out there and your name out there in any type of political position. So I always encourage people when they're not happy with their representatives run for it, step up, do something, right? It's not an easy thing to do. So first I applaud Quinn for that. We went into a special election here in Utah. We have a caucus system. So we actually have delegates who are elected by their neighborhoods, by their precincts who go and then get to vote. The idea is that you're more educated. I'm actually a state delegate myself, that we are more educated and able to then elect someone, nominate someone to represent the Republican Party. And so we held that special election, which 
there were some issues with. Maybe we can get into some of that, but it was a very quick process. It was only like a two week process, right? That you had to even Correct. campaign. And, and then that special election came and there was the candidate who ended up coming out of that as the nominee was Celeste Malloy. Celeste Malloy is uh, an attorney in Washington, D.C. For, for Chris Stewart. And that's who Chris Stewart endorsed it for, to replace him. And so with becoming a candidate, though, why don't we start there? What did you have to do? What was required to actually file for your candidacy, Quinn? Well, can I start a little bit before that? Yeah, I, absolutely. I just feel impressed to let your audience know why I ran. Yeah, please do. Uh, and this, I haven't told very many people this, but I think it's for me to get to know me, this is important. When Chris Stewart made his announcement that he was going to resign, the spirit came over me and said, you need to run for that seat. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have the money for a campaign. I don't know a campaign manager. I don't have any recognition as an individual to be able to put myself into that position and win. And I don't like to do things unless I can win. Right. And all day long, the spirit kept on me. You, everywhere I went, you need to run for that. You need to run for that. And I just kept saying, no, I can't. And that night when I went to bed, I couldn't go to sleep because the spirit kept saying, you need to run for that. And I felt like I was just hammered on all night long. Finally, at 3.30 in the morning, between 3.30 and 4, I said, okay, Heavenly Father, I'll run for that seat. I immediately was able to go to sleep. And, and what's funny is I said, but I need a second witness. So the next morning I had a business or a meeting and after this meeting was over, I said, hey, can I make a little announcement? And I started to make this announcement, and the Spirit just overcame me to where I had tears coming down my cheeks, and everybody's thinking, oh, somebody died? <laughs> and I finally kind of blurted out, I'm going to run for Congress. And everybody started laughing, and, and uh, you know, and the Spirit said, that's your second witness. You had to be embarrassed to, <laughs> to know that this is what That's I wanted to do. That's what I love about you, though. That's what I mean by you are the most genuine person. You had that prompting and you followed through with it. Good for you. I feel like that is such a good example of the way to live your life. It, well, and it's an important thing that, that if people will do that, we can make a big difference in the world. Yeah. And... You know, after I got through running this campaign, and uh, it was really interesting because at the convention, uh, now, let me start just before that. During the debates, I felt like I was one of the leaders in the debates. And the reason I say that is every answer that I gave had to deal with constitutional principles. After the first two questions, everybody on stage with me started referencing the Constitution. For me, that's an indication that I made a difference and just in that. Yeah. And so I knew that I was making a difference. Now, as, as it progressed further and we got to the, the convention, uh, I was the first speaker and I got up there and I, I, it was a joke. The podium was full of stuff. I didn't have anywhere to put my talk that I prepared so that I could reference it. There was so many wires and other things on this podium that I had no place to put anything. And then, to make matters worse, the microphone, 
it was so short, I would have had to bend down the entire time. And I tried to adjust it and it wouldn't adjust. It felt like it was going to fall apart Yeah. just by moving it. And finally, I ended up just carrying the microphone and, and uh, I butchered my talk. I had such an awesome talk prepared. And, and everybody says that I did a good job, but... I felt I like don't I, remember you butchering it. I was there, and I, I do not remember you butchering it. I, I thought you did a great job. Well, the talk I had prepared, I butchered. <laughs> you know, and I tried to make it good anyway, but I still butchered it. The second round came along, and as I'm walking up, the Spirit said to me really strong, you need to concede and, and throw your support behind Greg Hughes right now. And I thought, why? I've got such a great talk prepared for this second round. And the Spirit said, you need to do it. And so I listened. I walked up there, and i that's what I did. And, uh, and I think that's an important thing to point out because some of the media reports, and we'll get into this lawsuit a little bit, the media always has their own spin, right? It's very right. obvious to, to see KSL, for instance, obviously is very pro Celeste Malloy because every report is failed candidate, goes after winning candidate from the nomination. And it, that's not at all how it went down. In fact, you are the hero in this. You had nothing to gain by filing this lawsuit and standing up for election integrity and accountability. In fact, all you had was something to lose. You didn't have anything to gain from this. And you succeeded, succeeded pretty early on in the convention, as you're mentioning. It's not like you were in this, you know, battle to the end with Celeste, you actually threw your support, as you mentioned, to Greg Hughes pretty early on. So this, by framing this as a, a failed candidate filing this lawsuit, it's just ridiculous. And actually, to the Salt Lake Tribune's credit, I never thought I would ever be saying that the Salt Lake Tribune actually reported probably the most accurately on this, but they have. But it's really interesting to see this dichotomy of how the different media outlets report. And that's why I'm excited that you're able to share your perspective, because truly, I want to see the media that's reporting the hero that Quinn is for putting his name, himself, his reputation on the line with absolutely nothing to gain other than being a voice for the people. Because I can tell you, I get calls all the time. I know that we are not alone in wanting election integrity. That is one of the number one issues right now in our country. And so I applaud you for trying to have some accountability in this. You know, after the election at the convention and Celeste was declared the winner, it wasn't for a couple of days after that that I found out that there was some shenanigans that went on. And that really concerned me because Based on what I heard, you know, and I hadn't had a chance to review it yet, but it sounded like we had an unqualified candidate that won. And uh, I immediately called up Rob Axon, the, the chairman for the Utah Republican Party, and I asked him about it. And he told me that uh, he had been called on Sunday and told this, but then... Uh, so the, was, day, after the convention, day after convention, he was called by who? By somebody from the uh, LG's office. Okay. It, it could have been uh, our Lieutenant Governor Deidre 
And he was and told that there were issues with Celeste Malloy and the way she filed there her candidacy. Were, but they were all resolved now. And that uh, the LG's office had approved her. And so everything was fine. Interesting. Interesting that that came up after the convention and that the party and the delegates were not privy to that vital information from the lieutenant governor's office before the voting convention. So when I heard that, then I knew there was a lack of transparency and a lack of integrity in our election. And so then I started researching because, you know, now I knew it, but I didn't have any proof or evidence of it. And so we started researching to find the evidence. And uh, I did. I found lots of evidence uh, that 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 happened. And uh, once we found that evidence, I just, I knew that I needed to stand up. I mean, that's what I do. I, you know, when, if there's a correct principle, I stand up for that correct principle. And so I had to, you know, that's just me. Yeah. And so I did. And I... We invited several other candidates to participate, and and for whatever reason, they weren't able to. Well, and it's because it's difficult, and that's why I keep applauding you, is lawsuits are soul-sucking, even if you are in the right and correct, because no matter what, your name will be thrown through the mud, even right. if you are correct. And so it takes a lot of courage and bravery to step up. And so that's why I I continue to applaud you for doing that. So thank you. Well, and and I don't know how toxic I've become in Southern Utah. You know, I've been asked to run uh, for some other offices. And I don't know if I can run for those because, you know, I don't know that I'll have a chance because of uh, some of the comments that have been made to me? Well, I think for the most part, people are on the same lines as us and appreciate someone standing up for election integrity. There will always be people like if you don't have people criticizing, you're not living boldly enough. Right. Right. That's what I live by anyway. And so I wouldn't worry about that. I do want to delve into, though, what were the specifics that legally there was an issue with For instance, back to requirements to filing for candidacy, you have to be a registered voter, correct? Well, the way that it's worded, yes. Now, that is a Utah law. Now, you've got to start with a federal law. You've got to be a a certain age to meet the requirements, and you've got to live in the United States for seven years uh, before you can run for an office. And then it says that you have to be an inhabitant of that state when elected. Mm-hmm. Inhabitant is different than a resident. It's a, it's a little bit stricter requirement to be an inhabitant rather than a resident. Now, but that, that only comes into play once you're elected. So that would be by November, all of us would have to be inhabitants. Right. Now, most of us at the time of the the declaration of candidacy that we signed, we were all inhabitants for the most part. Yeah. There was one that it's questionable on and that I know of. Mm -hmm. Now I was told there is possibly three others 
Interesting. Well, and one other point I want to make with this race is there was a very concerted effort by several people in Republican leadership that we only want to elect someone who physically lives in CD2, in our district boundaries, right? That was the narrative that I heard over and over by several people in party leadership because there were several candidates who live outside those district boundaries and those districts change periodically. So someone may have at one point been within the boundaries, but now they weren't because of those boundary changes. But that didn't prevent them. You know, Greg Hughes, for instance, who was a front runner, he does not physically live live in the boundaries. And so there was this very concerted narrative of we will only elect someone who lives here. And that's what I heard Celeste with her campaign. In fact, still to this day, her campaign is saying, I've lived amongst rural Utahns my entire life. When we've found out that simply isn't true. She grew up in Nevada. She, for the last four years at least, has actually physically lived in Washington, D.C., hasn't voted in the last several elections here in Utah, which is why she was removed from the voter registration. And so there's been some really, even if not legal, which there's that question of legal issues, some ethical issues of misrepresenting yourself. And I take big issue with that. Now that's an important distinction that you just made because right now her, the LGO or the Lieutenant Governor's office and Celeste's side, they all say she was an inactive voter. Now by law, an inactive voter can still vote, but somebody that's been removed, they have to activate their their registration to vote. Somebody that's been removed has to fill out a whole new registration. Right. And the way the law is stated, a voter, uh, if they don't vote in an election, then they uh, have a letter that is required to be sent to them at their last known address. If they don't respond to that, then they wait until the following election. And if they don't vote again in that election, then another letter is sent. And if there's no response, then they're placed on a removal. That's what happened with Celeste. That's my understanding. Is she was now, on that removable list, correct? Now, Basically in the trash bin that hadn't been, hadn't been emptied yet. Well, it was is supposed right? to have been emptied in January mm. for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, after two years of not electing, it says that they shall remove. That's the way the law is stated in, in I two, think it's, two years of not voting. Yes. Okay. Then they are removed from the voter rolls. Well, she was actually more than two years of not voting. Correct. And so, so there's still that question as to whether she was actually removed or not. Well, we have not been able to get definitive evidence that she was, but by law, she it was required that she was. So would there have even been need for a lawsuit had the lieutenant governor's office come out and been transparent about the fact that they contacted Celeste Malloy a day or two after the filing deadline and had her actually 
reinstate or reactivate or re-register, however it went down, her voting registration and become again a registered Republican, wouldn't that have been really vital information to be disclosed to the voters? Yes. That's why I filed the lawsuit. That is the only reason I filed the lawsuit. The residency issue is not a very powerful issue in this because she could, she had a driver's license that uh, showed that she had an address in Cedar City at her sister's house. And I'm okay with that. But she was not a registered Republican, to a registered voting Republican, when she filled out the Declaration of Candidacy. And that's part of Utah Code, correct? That is part of Utah Code. That's in Section uh, 20A, and it is uh, 201, I think, A3 or A triple Oh, you got a good memory. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Okay. And uh, it basically states that uh, any candidate has to be a member of the party that they represent. Right. And according to the, the Constitution of the Republican Party, it says they have to be a voter in the, in the district that they live in. Right. Or the area they live in. She wasn't. wasn't. The last, her last known address was a St. George address. On the voter records. Her updated record is now in Cedar City. So there were two, two areas where that failed. Right. Uh, in uh, our hearing, our attorney, that, that's what he argued was that particular issue. Yeah. Tell us about the hearing because this just took place on Monday Correct. on the 31st. So tell us about that hearing and what was determined in that hearing. That well, and let me give you just a little bit of background still because okay. that uh, that's important. So, on uh, on June fourteenth, that was the filing deadline. We had to have everything in to file, or, or filed by then. On I believe the fifteenth of June, Celeste Malloy was contacted by the lieutenant governor's office and told that she wasn't a an active Republican or. I don't know what they said exactly. And that's a key point right there for me because, and nobody's been able to answer this. In fact, I don't think the judge, even in the hearing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they even answered this question of if there was truly no issue with Celeste's candidacy and the way she filed, why did the LG's office contact her a day or two after the deadline and have her change something if there were no issue. What would be the purpose for that if there were no issues? That was a question that my attorney asked, and we didn't get a satisfactory response from from the other side at all. Uh, and, and in fact, the only response we got concerning that was uh, uh, the statement that was made that said, uh, Celeste Malloy is as Republican as anybody that I know. That's what I keep hearing is, okay, but legally, was that on paper? Has she actually voted in the last several elections for someone who's so Republican? That's really odd that they didn't even vote for a Republican in the last however many years. Kind of right. interesting. Now, that uh, that was a, a really an important factor that uh, I think has been overlooked by the judge and by the lieutenant governor's office that, you know, 
if she was truly uh, a registered Republican, that shouldn't have been an issue. They shouldn't have had to contact her. But I was told in one of the responses that they not only contacted her, but they also contacted three others that had areas that they had to fix in there. Interesting. And so there's there's at least one, possibly four candidates that uh, were in this election that are unqualified candidates. Interesting. Now, my opinion of what they should have done, they should have had transparency. They should have called the Republican Party and said, hey, we have a candidate who has been a Republican in the past. Their names have been removed from the voter rolls. Uh, how do you want to handle it? Right. That would have been such vital information. And I'll tell you, there is no way that had that information been readily available to delegates and the party that Celeste would be the nomination right now. There's just no way in my mind because of how heavily that narrative of we have to elect someone who lives in our district. We want representation, someone who physically lives here. I just don't think there's any way had that information been public. Well, the resounding win that she had was only by 31 votes out of, what, 750? Right. And she was not the highest vote getter until that final round. Right. Greg Hughes was the highest every single round. He was. And and so, you know, I, I look at that as being manipulated so that their candidate could win. Right. And, and I hate to say it that way, but that's one of the reasons that motivated me to file this suit was that... I think that is a clear violation of election laws. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, because of everything that transpired uh, in, and I'll, let me tell you a little bit about the, it was a TRO hearing. Temporary which, restraining order. Correct, correct. Correct. So that temporary restraining order hearing, it came down to the lieutenant governor's office claimed that it would cost them $500,000 if if the judge was to grant the TRO. A TRO would have removed Celeste as a candidate until an evidentiary hearing could take place. Well, the the soonest the judge would be able to do the evidentiary hearing will probably be September. After the primary. After the primary. And so that would preclude Celeste from even being in the primary and even having a chance to to run for this office. Right. Now, the judge looked at uh, our relief for this lawsuit. Our relief, he and he characterized it kind of this way. He said, well, your relief is you remove a candidate that you don't like. And... Uh, you know, and this has nothing to do with whether I like Celeste or not. Amen. This has to do with election integrity. Yes. I actually personally like Celeste. I don't know if she likes me right now, <laughs> but I like her. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have a process of interviewing candidates where I ask lots of constitutional questions. I ask, uh, you know, questions on the issues. And if... They can support those, or they give me the right answers, then I can support them as a candidate. Right. 
I've never had that opportunity to talk to Celeste. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know if she would give me that opportunity now. Uh, I, it, would, I would hope that she would. You know, if, I, I have my own. If she wins at the primary, mm-hmm. I would hope that she will allow me the opportunity to sit down and talk with her about those things. Because, you know, as a Republican, I would like to support the Republican nomination, mm-hmm. whoever it is. Yeah. And so I would like to have that opportunity to, to talk with her and discuss those important issues for, to me about the Constitution and about the issues that currently we are facing as a nation and as a state Yeah, and as our district. Yeah, I've had some concerns as far as, and actually Eric Mutzos addressed this when he had her on his podcast, which I was not satisfied with her response of why she's been liking leftist tweets on social media, such as Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ propaganda, why is a Republican, someone so conservative, liking this leftist agenda? I have major concerns when it comes to those social aspects. I have concerns about legislation that she's helped draft and admits to supporting. So, you know, that's a side issue from this lawsuit. Again, it has nothing to do with whether you like or don't like her as a person. Even if I really liked the candidate, in fact, I was supporting Bill Hoster in that race. Him, you and him, I feel like very aligned as far as constitutional principles, having a backbone. And I've heard people make comments even on his page of, oh, you could complain if you got more votes in the convention. You're just complaining because you didn't get as many votes. It's like, no, this has nothing to do with that. This is strictly about integrity. And what I wanted to actually reference, we've just got about seven more minutes here. So one thing that I found appalling was the lieutenant governor's statement that came out after this ruling on Monday. So but before you read that, let me yeah. tell you the the judge's response okay. to the ruling. After the uh, there was discussion about this $500,000 cost that the lieutenant governor's office would have to face and he said, "Well, you guys all you want is a a candidate uh, removed." He said, "There's really no economic difference and so I'm going to have to go uh, with denying the TRO because it's not worth the $500,000 to change everything that's being done right now. Right. Basically, yeah, there's some issues, but financially it's not worth it. Right. And And I would argue politically for that judge as well, because you think of here you had the Republican Party that still nominated to put her on the ballot. So he would be going against the Republican Party, which is a big deal here in the state of Utah. And then you have, what, 15 attorneys on the defendant side, one attorney on the plaintiff side. So I don't think any of us looked at this lawsuit thinking that it would actually be ruled the way that it probably should have been in a lot of our opinions, right? Because right. of all of the politics surrounding it. And, and uh, you know, and I, I don't have anything against the judge. He made the best decision that he could with the information that he was given. He didn't have a time to review the responses. Right. They came Friday and Saturday, the, the responses to our TRO. Right. Well, he got there at 8 o'clock Monday morning. He didn't have time to go review those. Yeah. And because uh, they each were close to 40 pages. Yeah. And Which so, is why I thought the lieutenant governor putting this out saying, 
Today's decision is a win for the rule of law. We appreciate the court's order denying the motion to halt the CD2 special election, questioning the venue timing and most importantly merits of the case. Lawsuits such as this one that are driven by politics and false accusations instead of facts are an enormous waste of government resources and taxpayer money. We look forward to this case being dismissed entirely. So... I I could not help but to comment on her post. I said, I didn't realize the rule of law included using your position to allow special favors for your buddies. Where was your rule of law in informing the Republican Party prior to the special election of Malloy's candidacy filing issues? And if there were no issues in her filing, why did your office contact her the day after the filing deadline to update her voter registration? To blame the massive waste of our tax dollars on those wanting a shred of accountability is absolutely disgraceful and embarrassing. Only your elitist buddies are falling for that fabricated narrative. We the people see right through it. And that's how I feel about the ruling. How do you feel? Basically the same way. Uh, But, you know, I have to be realistic. For me to continue this lawsuit, it would be a colossal waste of money because I know where it's going to end. The most important thing that I think I've gained out of this is I think we're going to get some legislative change. Yes. And, uh, you know, and you've I, been working on that. I have been. I've been working on a, a draft to present to some of the representatives that would shore up this weak area in our our code. Yeah, I think this has brought to light really a lot of the weaknesses in the process. I think people fear that by not supporting Celeste, that that somehow isn't supporting the convention system, which is simply not true. A, this was a special election. This was not your traditional convention that we normally would have had adequate time to vet the candidates. We would normally hope that there wouldn't be an LG's office withholding vital information to the voters, to the party. So there were a lot of issues with this particular special election that I don't feel reflects the process as a whole, but it sheds light on some true issues that need to be addressed. You know, this, and the, there are a lot of people that would like to see this process that we use, that's the caucus and, and convention system, just gone. Because this system creates a representative government system. Our republic is a representative government we are not a democracy. And I'm going to repeat Thank that. Thank you. We are not a democracy. A democracy is mob rule. Right. It is always three wolves and two sheep voting what's for lunch. Always. That's how a democracy is. We are not a democracy. We are a representative government that is controlled by a constitution. And that's how it was set up. That's what's been enduring Democracies are not enduring. This has been the longest living government of its type ever. And it's been the only representative government of its type ever in the history of the world. Our founding fathers were absolutely inspired men of God. And they put this system together because of that inspiration. And... For us to be willing to sacrifice this system and move to, I'm sorry, but the signature system is a a democratic or a democracy type system that ends up being mob rule. 
Right. And that is not a great system. So I love that you're on record now. You support the convention system. Absolutely. Yes, because that's the the pushback I keep hearing from people is, oh, if you're not supporting Celeste, then you're somehow not supporting the convention system. And I say, no, actually, that's absolutely not true. I support integrity. I'm not part of a cult, so I am going to follow my conscience, right, and support the candidate who I feel is the best for the job. So I applaud you for looking at how can we make sure this doesn't happen again and getting that legislation, those changes made. Thank you for working on that. We're down to about 20 seconds. So I want you to finish with your final thoughts on this. One last thought that, you know, I want to go on record saying that I also would have preferred to have a candidate from district two, but I want the very best candidate possible. And right Amen. now, I, I, I think the only candidate we have left that I can consider is, is Bruce Huff. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll be back again next week. And I feel like that was enough time. So we'll, we'll have you back on for sure. Okay. Thanks, Quinn. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of the Michelle Tanner podcast. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share. And always remember to keep exposing truth. But I won't back down. No, I won't back down. This has been a production from a podcast studio.